You are listening to audio from Life Community Church located in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about our ministry or to financially support God's ministry through us, please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org. Today, Pastor Ryan McAllister will take us through Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, entitled Kingdom Living in the series By Faith. We will now join Pastor Ryan McAllister as he brings us the message. Good morning, life. We are in the book of Romans today. We are nearing the end of this book. We are at the uh, second half of chapter 14. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Romans 14. We're going to be starting in verse 13 today. This is actually part 28. So if you haven't been with us, you're like, did you guys go over the first 13 and half a chapter. Yes, we did. Uh, You can go back and you can listen to that series. It's on our YouTube channel. We actually have it in a playlist called By Faith. So you could go ahead and check that out and listen to what we've talked about through this amazing letter to the Roman church. But today we're going to be talking about kingdom living, living in the kingdom and how we are to do that. But before we get into it, I want to pray and I want to ask that God would be with us Uh, that God would reveal to us what he wants us to know. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, may we be attentive to hear what you have to say. Not merely the words that I'm going to speak, but the intentions of the holy word that you have preserved for us for 2,000 years. You have kept it secure You have kept it so that we might learn from it, that we might know what your will is. And so, God, as I speak, may your word be presented clearly. May your word, and not my opinion, be put on display. May your Son, Jesus Christ, be the one who is at the center of everything. May he be glorified. May I fade away, and may our minds be turned our hearts be softened towards you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we began the chapter, uh, 14th chapter of Romans, talking about opinions. And we're going to go ahead, I'm going to read to you actually verses uh, 13 through 23, so that we get kind of a good understanding of where we are going past uh, verse 12. So join me. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there should be one in front of you in the pew. If there's not one in front of you in the pew, you can go onto the App Store or Google Play Store or whatever and download uh, a Bible app. We have one uh, that we are associated with called the Bible app, uh, so you can download that. There's also many different Bible apps that you can download so you can follow along with us because uh, we really do, even though I put it up on the screen so you can follow along on the screen, I do want you to be engrossed in God's Word. I want you to see and look at God's Word. So join me as we are in verse 13 of chapter 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. 
For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, in the first 12 verses of chapter 14, we talked about strong and weak brothers. If you remember our strong and weak brother pictures here, Weak brothers. It's just my opinion, but it's true. Uh, that was from an ad that was on TV. That's Jim from The Office. Uh, if you don't know what it is, I, that ad is one of my favorite ads ever. He's talking about jelly beans, and he says that the black ones are the worst ones. He says, it's just my opinion, but it's true. And it was supposed to be a public service announcement. It's great. It's amazing. But it works perfectly for this understanding of the weak brothers, those who are weak in the faith. They have an opinion about something, and they, te- they tend to go ahead and become tyrannical about their opinion. Weak brothers, don't be tyrants. Your weakness in faith and conscience cannot be the rule and order by which all must submit. Don't be a tyrant. But strong brothers... Don't be inhospitable. Remember our strong brothers. Well, that's just your opinion, man. Okay, that's great. It's good that you understand that these are opinions. But your strength and faith and conscience cannot be used as an excuse to live in a lack of grace and mercy when God has been so gracious and merciful with you. Remember, we, what were we talking about when we were talking about these strong and weak brothers? That we have to live in gracious understanding of one another. We're not talking about definitive sin. We're talking about gray areas. We called these a diaphora. A diaphora is a Greek word. It means indifference. Areas of indifference. Issues of moral neutrality or unclarity. When God commands, we obey. You have to remember that. We are not talking about the commands of God, whether you have an opinion on God's commands or not. Your opinion on what God commands always submits to his command. You can have an opinion that you don't like it, but you submit to his command. But we're not talking about the commands of God when we talk about weak brothers and strong brothers. We are talking about where God is either silent or or there is enough room to wiggle about the issue. 
When God is silent or there's room to wiggle, we use our best judgment based on Scripture and our conscience. Those are what guide us as Christians, Scripture and conscience. So that's what we talked about last week. Now, coming to verse 13 through 21, we're going to talk about those first, this first section through 21. We're going to be talking about the idea of Christian liberty. Christian liberty is good. This is one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that we are free. This is not merely talking about political freedom, although there is certainly an implication towards it. In fact, one of the things that you notice is as Christianity spreads, liberty tends to also increase. Suddenly, it becomes very difficult when a person is converted to think that they should have ownership over another person. So what you see tending in Christian society in the West is you see a decrease in slavery and increase in liberty. But specifically, what we are talking about in Christian liberty is not just a political consequence of the theological concepts, but instead the actual theological concept, the idea of how Christian liberty affects you and me. And so I want to talk about a couple different areas, how Christian liberty, our freedom in Christ, how it actually applies, what it actually means to be free in Christ. Number one, we are free from sin. This is the foundation of our Christian liberty, that we are free from sin. Sin's bondage no longer holds us. Sin's bondage no longer holds us. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Sin, when we were captured by it, bound us and it made our will bound to it. So all that we willed, all that we wanted to do was sin continuously. Now you might say, does that mean to the maximum? No. Does it mean sin to the maximum? So it's not as if all sinners are always sinning to the maximum capacity. All those who are outside of Christ sin to the maximum capacity. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that all those who are outside of Christ their will is bound to sin. And so, whatever they do, this is how Augustine would actually uh, talk about it, is that their will is bound towards sin. So when they do things, even when they appear to be good to us, they're not truly good because it comes from a sinful place. Many times when we talk about, I, I, I usually talk about this as a philosopher uh, someone who does apologetics and philosophy, when we talk about the moral argument for the existence of God. We say if morals really exist, if there are really truly good things and really truly evil things, that needs and requires there to be a God. If there is no God, then truly moral, ev- uh, truly moral good things, truly moral evil things don't exist. They're just mere opinion. But we believe, as many people do, and as I think most people act in the way that they actually live their lives, that there are truly good things, 
and there are truly evil things. No one who comes up to you and says, the abuse of a child is good. You would say, that is wrong, that is evil. To call abusing a child good is evil. Not just a, an opinion of evil, not just, well, maybe that's their culture, or that's just a difference of opinion. No, we would say, I have to rescue a child who is being abused. We believe, if you want to do that, if you have that inclination that that means that you believe something is truly good and evil, in order for that to happen, there must be a God who sets the standards. And what is amazing about the gospel is that though our will was captured by that which tends us towards evil, Christ has set us free. Through faith in Him, we are set free from that bondage to our sinful nature, and we are instead bound to Him. This is the second part of this talk. We are no longer bound, uh, bound, the bondage of sin no longer holds us, and sin's power no longer controls us. Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In theological talk, this is the mortification of sin. I'm reading a book right now because we're preparing to talk about it a little bit more called The Mortification of Sin in the Believer. It is a great, like it sounds really like metal, doesn't it? Like the mortification of sin. Mortification is just like a really intense word, right? I like it. It sounds cool. But what this is all about, the mortification of sin, the, the putting to death of sin, this happens when sin's power no longer controls us. This cannot happen when we are in bondage to sin. We are tied to it. We are enslaved to it. But once we are freed, then sin can be put to death by the Spirit at work in us. Sin's wages no longer threaten us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we sin, we accumulate wages, that which is owed to us. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, Paul says, is eternal life through Christ, and therefore those wages which threatened us, those wages, it's almost as if death were mockingly calling out to us. We all know that death is down the line for all of us. One day all of us will die. But when you come to the realization that that death is not merely a ceasing of existence, but it is also the payment for your sin, it's almost as if death is mocking us and is threatening us from afar. It's always at the door telling us that our death is imminent, our destruction is coming. 
But in Christ, those wages no longer threaten us. Where death once through sin mockingly beckoned us, the life of Christ now enlivens and encourages us and carries us through this life. We are free from sin. We are also bound to Christ. So we're free from sin, but guess what? The issue is that we just can't always be free agents. That is the truth of the human condition. We will be bound to something. We are bound either to sin or to Christ. There is no other option. You have no, well, I'm free from sin, but I'm not going to be bound to God. Can't happen. It's not how things work. And so when we are freed from sin, we are then bound to Christ. As we've talked last week when we were trying to decipher the, uh, the whole idea about opinions, it becomes very muddy for a lot of us when we talk about opinions because we all have lots of them, don't we? We have lots and lots of opinions on lots and lots of things. And sometimes, even though we agree and we, we resonate when we say that there are truly morally good things and truly morally evil things, we resonate with that and we live as if that is true, it is very difficult for us to decipher which is which. And that's why we have all of these disagreements about what we need to do. But God, through his wisdom, has made plain what is required out of us through his word. And so we could go to his word, but even still, there are certain things upon which God has not spoken that are gray areas. But for us, we go, but I feel like there are some things that fit in the gray area that other people don't think that they fit in the gray area. They think that God says that they're very clear. And so we get very muddied and twisted and we don't know what to do. But what we must remember is what Romans 6, 1 tells us, that sin is not a matter of personal conviction. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So we have this principle that, yes, sin is a real thing that we are not to engage in. We are not to continue to go back to the old slave master and say, please, let me come back and bind myself to you. No, we are to stay bound to Christ because sin, when God has commanded it, it is not a matter of personal conviction. You see, our old self died so that our new, li- our new self might live in him. 2 Corinthians five, seventeen through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Our old self, the the sinful nature which we were bound to is all gone. It is dead. It is crucified on the cross with Christ. This is what Christ offers to us. Come and die. He says this to the sinful nature. Come and die. Join Him on the cross. Die. Be buried. This is what we do when we have a baptism. We picture what has happened to the believer. 
that they die with Christ, their old self being buried. And we picture that through submerging someone into water as if they are put six feet in the ground. Their old self stays, but the new self is risen with Christ as Christ rose. Our old self died so our new self might live in him. But there's one more thing that really helps to, uh, to, to cement this understanding of our being bound to Christ. It is not merely that we are set free and then bound to him because there's no other option, although that's true. There is no other option. We are either bound to sin or we're bound to Christ. But you have to also understand that we were bought with his blood. It is not merely... It's not merely that the chains were broken. It is that you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This passage is at is uh, at an end where Paul is talking about sexual morality. And he's saying, could, we, could anyone join themselves to a prostitute? No, your body is a temple of the Spirit of God who is within you. Do not join that with a prostitute. That is not what you are to do. But there is this principle of understanding that we have been bought with blood, and so our lives... Our lives are bound to Christ, not just in a spiritual sense, but actually making a difference in how we live. Not to continue in sin, but in pursuit of righteousness. Our Christian liberty that we have, our Christian liberty that has been granted to us, frees us from sin, binds us to Christ. But we have to understand that we are more than simply free. Your Christian liberty is not about your liberty. So many times, we want to make our own liberty about us, about what we do, about me. The me focus distracts us from our true goal, to know Christ and to make Him known. This is what Paul is talking about. When you get wrapped up in your own liberty about what you can do, and you begin to just... And here's the thing. I, I'm not saying that you should restrict yourself from the Christian liberty that we have because you are free in Christ. I'm not trying to bind you against that. But when your Christian liberty butts up against someone else, which is what Paul is talking about here, he says, let's not pass judgment on one another any longer, but decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Do not, verse 20, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Your liberty is not about you. If your liberty in a non-essential causes someone to be barred from knowing Christ, lay it down, throw it away, put it away, do not participate. Say, for the sake of my brother, for the sake of my sister. I see this. 
I, I debated whether I'm going to bring the, what I, I would bring this up or not, but I, I'll just mention it. And this is going to be me stepping away saying that this is, this is something I've not 100% thought through, but I do have some things to say about it. I, I remember uh, when I was growing up in youth group that there was a rule that when you went to the pool, girls were to wear T-shirts and no two-piece ba two bathing suits. Boys were uh, d no Speedos. That's what the rule was for boys for some reason. Uh, which I'm like, I mean, I'm glad. Uh, I, I don't think anybody wanted to see that. Um, but, you know, the more I've grown, the more I'm like, no, I, I, I think that there is an issue of modesty for both men and women that we need to have, that we need to be considerate of those who are around us. And so I, I tend to think that, you know, you shouldn't be looking for how little you can wear in order to get away with. And it's funny, I've, I've seen people arguing about this, and they say, well, listen, it's not my job to say it's a, a female about their own swimming wear. It's not my job to, to make sure that somebody else doesn't lust after me. And I say, true. That's very true. It's not your job to ensure that your brother doesn't lust because there's a problem. You can only do that so far. But there's another thing that if a brother says that really is a temptation, I need to stay away from that, the response shouldn't be, well, that's not my problem. This is the same for the guys. You know, one of the things I can't, I can't, this, again, I'm trying, I'm trying to be gracious here, but I, I see guys running around without their shirts, and one of the things I heard about the Barbie movie recently is that one of the great things is that Ryan Gosling has his shirt off for so long. And I'm like, yeah, pretty sure that's called lust, and you shouldn't be doing it. We need to consider our brothers and our sisters in certain matters and not just try to flaunt our own liberty. This is a thing that we should be concerned with because we love our brothers and sisters. Yes, we also love the Lord and we want to honor Him, and that's where issues of true modesty come in. But we should be concerned how others are stumbled. And to have the me focus is distracting us from knowing Christ and to making him known. It's not about your liberty. What is it about then? Well, this is what it's about. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, matters of opinion, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is about righteousness. Not our righteousness. Here's the thing. Remember, I, I, I highlighted this in the notes here. God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Not yours. It's not about your liberty. God's kingdom is about righteousness. Not our righteousness, but His the pursuit of holiness in the Christian is not simply refraining from sin, but remaining in what Christ offers us, His righteousness. On the cross, Christ took on your sin and my sin. He placed it on Christ. That's why it says that He became sin who knew no sin. He took our sin, put it on Christ. 
And what does Christ do for us when we trust in Him and we place our sin upon Him? He places His righteousness upon us. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His righteousness. Our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of righteousness is not about a self-righteousness that puffs up. This is what the Pharisees did. And this is what Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed the Pharisees. And I'm going to tell you right now, you aren't more righteous than the Pharisees. You aren't. You don't even come close to how these men live their lives in strict adherence to the Word of God. But here's the thing. Their strict adherence to the Word of God became an issue of pride for them that blinded them to what was behind the simple command. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, don't even hate your brother. Don't call him an idiot. Oh, everybody on 95 is out. It's all done. All over. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at a woman in lust. Everybody that saw a Barbie movie is out of, the, out of the question. God's kingdom is about his righteousness, trusting in him. God's kingdom is about peace. God's kingdom is about peace. And this is not the silly peace that we always try to pursue. So many times in our life when we try to pursue peace, what we're pursuing is just merely non-conflict. Non-conflict is not peace at all. Sure, there's no war raging between two individuals, but within them, probably. You ever had something that you needed to say to someone because they offended you and you just held it in? and you just didn't say anything, and it festered for years and years, and it never really was dealt with. And then one day, they do one little thing, and you go, that's it, I'm done, and you're over it. Because you never actually had peace on the issue. You had an appearance of peace. God's kingdom is not about that. That's why as, as a church, as believers, as a pastor, as Christians, we simply cannot just live with no conflict. No conflict is great. I mean, it's better than conflict sometimes. That's how we want to think of it. But when a person is at war with God because they're his enemy, and we go, whoa, whoa, you know, let's just, let's just try to keep the peace here. Let's just try to, try to be gentle here. What peace is there when they don't know Christ? There is no peace if you don't know Christ. And within the church, when we have conflict, when we have, when we have disagreements on things, it's not good to just ignore it. When you have something against your brother, you go to your brother. Why? Because you got to remember, you don't know everything. You don't know what's going on in their life. 
You don't know what they're thinking about. You don't know what's happening. Getting a good perspective, one of the things I've discovered is that when I understand why something is happening, it helps me to deal with what's actually happening. The thing that really bothers me is when I don't get it. That makes me insane. I get really, really bent out of shape about that, and I really struggle, struggle and try to understand why things they are, are the way they are. I'm not perfect in that. There are some things I just go, I don't know. Uh, and I just bar- will go on about my day. But there are certain things that I really just need to know and understand. And then that helps me to actually deal with what's going on. As Christians, we shouldn't fear conflict. We shouldn't fear having a little conflict in order that truth might be proclaimed. Because without truth, there is no actual peace. There is just an appearance. As Christians, we should love tranquility, but that tranquility should come through unity in Christ. As a church, we are unified around Christ, around His truth, around His word, around His blood. We shouldn't flee from conflict, within the walls of the church or outside in the world when the world tells us that we're crazy for following Christ. We shouldn't just say, peace, peace, everyone. No. We care about truth. Without truth, there could be no true peace. Lastly, God's kingdom is about joy. Joy is one of those things that the world, again, likes to emulate. They call it happiness, jovialness. They think that joy is rooms filled with laughter, and it can be. They think that joy is smiling faces, and it can be. But joy, my friends, is one that gives thanks and praise to God when a loved one dies. Joy is one that gives thanks and praise to God when you lose your job. Joy is the abiding knowledge that God in all things and in all circumstances has given us a future that is secure in Christ. There is nothing that comes our way that eliminates that future. Death, loss, destruction, all can be painful and mournful. And in fact, we should mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. But even when we mourn, we mourn differently than the rest of the world. We don't mourn as those who have no hope. We have a great hope. And so, through our tears, we hold fast to the future that God has given to us. In the book of James, it says, count it all a joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. When he says count it, he's talking like an accountant. He says, when you take a look at the scope of your life and you see where you have been and what you have done, when you see the trial and the turmoil and the pain and the heartache, 
looking back and looking over, you can see the grace of God through each one. The mercy of God in each place. You can trace His grace through all moments of your life. That is how we count it all as joy, even when it's filled with tears. This is God's kingdom. It is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, just as an add-on to this, it's actually key to it. Notice that it says joy in the Holy Spirit. I think you can say that the righteousness and the peace are also encapsulated in the Holy Spirit as well, but I think that it is very uh, poignant that joy is so close to in the Holy Spirit. Because how can you? How can you rejoice? How can you praise and give thanks? It is not possible during certain trials, during certain tribulations, during certain heartache. It is impossible naturally to do that. And we've all felt that kind of pain. How is it possible? Through His Holy Spirit. Through reliance upon Him. Not so that you would smile and joke and laugh, but so that you would hold fast to the hope that you have in you. And you can count it all as a joy. So, to end this section of Romans 14, I want to read the last two verses again. Because this gives us some principles for the kingdom life that we are to live. Read with me verse 22 and 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Our kingdom life is to be lived for an audience of one. Our kingdom life, the life in which we live, is to be lived for an audience of one. Uh, a couple years ago, Southern Baptist Convention got together and they were talking about several issues that had come up, some with sexual misconduct uh, problems that were happening throughout the convention. And one of the refrains that I kept hearing that bothered me, I mean, just really bothered me, was, the world is watching. The world is watching. Was that true? Kind of. People were very interested. Reporters were going. Non-Christians were paying attention to it. The SBC is the largest Protestant denomination in America. What they do has impact. So was the world watching? Sure. But why did that keep being said? Because so many in the SBC care more about what the world thinks than what their God thinks. No. No. Should we care about what the world thinks? We shouldn't ignore it. I'm not saying ignore your witness, how you appear to outsiders. But this is, again, an issue of priority. Who do you care about more? Think about this. Husbands, you're getting ready to go out on a date with your wife. 
You're getting ready, brushing your hair, brushing your teeth, hopefully. Doing all the things, getting gussied up, looking good. And the whole time you're thinking, wonder what all the other ladies are going to think about me when I go out. Now imagine your wife can hear your thoughts. Are you in trouble? Yes. That's the answer. You're going to be in trouble. If you're more concerned about what all the other women are going to think, what all the other ladies are going to see, and not concerned about your wife and how she feels and what's going into this for her, you're going out with her. You're not going out with them. Now, should you also dress appropriately so that you do not offend the eyes of all the other people you come in contact with? Yes. Wear appropriate clothing. But your primary concern, your primary thoughts, what does she think? Christian, don't ignore the world, but you better be concerned about what your God thinks. That should be your primary concern in your life. We cannot be controlled by what the sinful world thinks about us. They want to condemn us because we believe that God made them male and female. Why do we care what they think so much? We can't. We have to care what the Lord thinks of us. We live for an audience of one. The one true God. Live as if the Lord is watching. That's how we're to live. Kingdom life is also guided by faith in the Lord. Verse 23 says, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is actually the very verse that Augustine uses when he is talking about how those who are not in the faith cannot do righteousness. They could do things that appear to be righteous, but in actuality, they are always tainted by our sinful will outside of Christ. For what does not proceed from faith. And this is not just like the world. One of the things that so annoys me sometimes about movies when they talk about faith is that it's like they don't want to offend anyone, and yet they end up offending me a lot. Uh, it's not about me, but it does offend me. Because they always talk about, you just got to have faith. George Michaels and his song, Gotta Have Faith. Movies, just gotta have faith. Faith in what? What are you having faith in? You can't just have faith. Faith is not something that you can just grab onto and just hold and it's not in anything. Faith is always in something. Faith means trust. I oh, just gotta trust, man. Just Whenever you hear somebody say that, just replace it with trust. You just gotta trust. Trust you? Trust the government? Trust Who am I trusting? The aliens? I don't know. Who am I trusting in this moment? What are you saying to me? Just trust. Just 
have faith. No, our faith, our faith is in Christ. All our actions, when they're performed outside trusting in the Lord, they're what the Bible calls filthy rags. All our righteous deeds, righteous deeds, they're like filthy rags before the Lord because we always do them without trusting in Him. Paul took a significant amount of time in the book of Romans from chapter 4 through chapter 7, essentially, explaining how faith is the driving force of righteousness in the believer, trusting in the Lord. Our entire orientation as Christians is to be directed at trusting the Lord. No matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter what we say, we trust the Lord in all things. That which does not proceed from faith is sin. Guys, when we come to kingdom living, and we come to these areas where there's, there's, there's some wiggle room, there's some gray, God hasn't definitively said one thing or another, and we have issues of Christian liberty at play We need to remember these principles. To live for an audience of one. Weak brothers don't tyrannize the stronger by forcing them to live according to your dictates of conscience. Strong brothers, those who trust the Lord and all things are clean and it is all good, do not put a stumbling block of hindrance to the relationship that your weaker brother is trying to have with Christ. Do not make them stumble. Do not hinder them from coming to the Lord. Graciously encourage them and live in mercy and kindness towards one another. This, this is all leading into chapter 15, which we're going to talk about next week. And I, and I hope that you Remember what these lessons that we've taken out of chapter 14 as we go into chapter 15 because they're going to be important and they're going to flow into these next, next couple of sentences that Paul teaches about. And so I want us to remember those principles, to live for an audience of one and to be guided by faith in the Lord. This is how we are to live in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, and we thank you that you have given your word to us and preserved it for us for thousands of years so that we might have it and we might be able to learn your will, that we might be able to, to live lives that are pleasing to you. God, give us grace because we, we need it. We are a sinful people, and left to our own devices, we would bind ourselves to sin yet again, but you have set us free. You have broken the chains that bound us to our old self. We have crucified the old self and it is lying dead in the grave and we now live in the newness of life, risen with Christ. Let us live that life in trust and faith in your Son. Let us live that life holy before you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Life Community Church Alexandria. We believe that there should be no anonymous Christians, so we would love for you to visit and worship with us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org for more information.
Thank you and God bless.